0: I want to kick off the show today by talking about something that certainly uh, we were talking about a lot on this day a year ago and in the days that followed. Today marks one year since the Taliban seized the Afghan capital of Kabul. You'll remember how fast that takeover happened. The desperate attempts of people trying to flee the country, people holding on to airplanes as they were taking off. Just uh, some horrific images that we saw over The uh, over those weeks. Now, today, here at home, the federal liberals being criticized again for bringing in just over 17,000 refugees from Afghanistan. OVER THE PAST YEAR, THE WORK CONTINUES MOSTLY BY PRIVATE ORGANIZATIONS TO RESCUE AFGHAN REFUGEES WHO WORKED WITH THE CANADIAN FORCES. THE FEDERAL GOVERNMENT SAYING GETTING PEOPLE OUT OF THE COUNTRY into CANADA HAS BEEN VERY CHALLENGING SINCE OTTAWA HAS NO DIPLOMATIC PRESENCE THERE AND DOES NOT RECOGNIZE THE TALIBAN GOVERNMENT. DR. CHRISTIAN Luprecht IS A PROFESSOR OF POLITICAL STUDIES AT THE ROYAL MILITARY COLLEGE OF CANADA AND QUEENS UNIVERSITY. HE'S AN EXPERT ON SECURITY AND DEFENSE. DR. LUPREK, WELCOME BACK TO THE show.
1: Good afternoon, Jaylin.
0: Uh, yeah, it was a year ago we were watching this unfold, and I think it was, you know, only weeks prior to that that the, the U.S. president said, you know, it wouldn't happen. It wouldn't happen. The Taliban wouldn't take control of the country once again. Here we are a year on. Where's your head out when you're looking at the state of that country right now?
1: Yeah, I mean, all the intelligence reports had said that this was going to be an end with I guess the Biden administration chose the, the, an end with horror rather than a horror without end. I guess that's how they uh, they looked at their fate. Um, clearly, I mean, what we've seen over the last year is that the Taliban continue to struggle to establish themselves. They they want to be seen as uh, recognized as the international governing authority, but uh, uh, there's still a very little recognition for them uh, that can be seen in the fact that um, much of the development aid for Afghanistan has not been released, Afghani- Afghan foreign reserves um, and of course it doesn't help that the Afghan, the Taliban continue to be duplicitous, uh, mm-hmm. whether that's with regards to sending women to school or whether it's regards to Oswabiri hiding out in sort of the posh luxury uh, former embassy quarter in a house owned by the Haqqani Network uh, that is a major, if you want, quasi-coalition partner in the, in the Taliban government uh so uh, um I, I think the and, and the people who are ultimately pe- bearing the price for that is uh are, are the local uh, afghans and uh, and i think there's a lot of them who are losing real hope Dr.
0: Luprecht, you you touched on, um, you know, women and children and the plight that they're facing in that country. We know that um, when the Taliban took over, it kind of pitched itself as a reformed group last year, that they had changed their ways. And I don't think anyone bought into that. And if they did, I I would suspect uh, we could call them easily fools. They have proven to be anything but a reformed group.
1: Yeah, I think it's uh, like all things in politics, it's complicated. There's a number of folks who are fairly progressive. I think, uh, you know, relatively, we're talking about the Taliban here, but uh, especially on the on the issue of women. But uh, what they've essentially instituted is sort of your your classic religious theocratic regime um, where there are government decisions that are being made in Kabul. But then there's the religious shura, uh, that is in part made up of some folks who are very, very conservative and who would like to take, that basically returns sort of the 1996 takeover of the uh, of the Taliban of Afghanistan um, and no movies, no music, and so mm-hmm. forth. And so that shura uh, holds uh, basically a veto power, so the government in Kabul can decide whatever it wants uh, if the shura is not on side. And and the women, the, the issue of sending uh, sending girls and women to school is a is a classic example. Um, so. Uh, so that um, uh, that there's a there's a struggle within uh, the Taliban ranks um, against the people who've declared themselves basically the the supreme religious authority um, regardless of what government compromises can be forged in in Kabul and that of course makes it very difficult to recognize the government in Kabul because effectively they're not the real ruling power the shura continues to be the real ruling power
0: we know that um, the majority of the country is is facing hunger there's a real humanitarian crisis you know the hunger, uh, the economy is an absolute mess. Is, can there be any optimism at this point about the future of Afghanistan?
1: Well, I think if you look at Afghans, you know, they, they were hopeful, I think, uh, after the uh, Russian invaders were kicked out and the Mujahideen took over, they were hopeful after the Taliban took, uh, took over, they were hopeful again after Western coalition forces uh, came in uh, 2001, 2002, uh, but I think over the last 10 years, people have, have sort of started to lose hope, and I think you can get a real sense of sort of hopeless uh, hopelessness, that people just don't see a future. And you can see that in the fact that anybody who could, effectively, Got out when it uh, became clear that uh, the Taliban were going to take over, and of course the the, uh, the Taliban were biding their time, knowing that as Western powers have for um, over 200 years, they show up and then eventually they lose patience and they mm-hmm. then they go home. And so the the challenge here, I think, is that. Uh, um, the, uh, um, the, the 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 much of the skill set. So it's not just the economy, but much of the high-end skill set are the people who got out and who left. So the Taliban are also left with uh, with relatively little of sort of the skill set they would need to get the country running again mm-hmm. and to get the economy running. So
0: so what does the rest of the world at this point do about this country? I mean, when the Americans left and, and 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 the other countries left, kind of washing their hands of 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 Afghanistan but we're, we're seeing, um, you know, this humanitarian crisis. We are seeing rights again, women's um, and girls' rights. We're seeing people being killed. Uh, does the rest of the world now just turn a blind eye to what's happening there?
1: Well, you we can see the rest of the world is not turning a blind eye because we saw that the Americans with over their over-the-horizon strategy are still able to carry out their decapitation strikes. So that was a clear message to the Taliban that the Americans might not be on the ground, uh, but they still have a very long arm to be able to reach uh, and assert their interests. Uh, the, uh, the the challenge here, I think, is that over the last 30 years, we've had huge hubris in the West about intervening in all sorts of places um, in the pretense of... Uh, Uh, somehow thinking we can make it a better place and I think much ignoring much of the reality on the ground and I think one of the lessons that we need to take away from the last 30 years is that ultimately I think we need to be more respectful of people's sovereignty and that we ultimately need to let local people sort out their own problems and if or when they are ready they can come and they can ask for our help but I think uh, forcing our help upon them uh, has not proven a recipe for success over the last 30 years.
0: Before I let you go Dr. Luprakt I mean Canada's role especially over uh, Um, you know the past year has been trying to get um, folks out of Afghanistan especially those who helped uh, the Canadian Armed Forces during the years that the CAF was in uh, was was in Afghanistan Um, coming under fire today once again House Commons saying not, not enough has been done and there's a lot of folks saying the same thing we know there's a lot of private organizations who are still working very hard to get those people out of Afghanistan what more should Canada be doing at this point
1: the tragedy is that we had 20 years to develop a policy and governments on both sides of the aisle basically ignored the issue. Um, and uh, this is terrible for Canada's credibility because when we go somewhere else now, we, ha- we always have to count on locals for mission success and to support our mission. Um, and so which local is going to sign up somewhere mm-hmm. else in the world now to support us if they know that they are ultimately going to be left in the lurch when the Canadians go home and they're going to be left to fend for themselves against some adversarial regime that that's uh, at best going to imprison them, and at worst torture or kill them, uh, and their family. And so I think there's a huge liability, not just a a moral liability, but a very clear sort of liability in terms of uh, of national interest. And we need a policy going forward, because there's so many other places in the world where you have locals working for us, and it looks like we've learned very little. I mean, the recent reporting out of the embassy in Ukraine, uh, where we didn't share vital intelligence that uh, could have endangered the lives of local employees, it appears. Um, I mean, suggests that, uh, that we're still sort of building the plane while flying it. And I think after 20 years of this experience, that's simply inexcusable.
0: Dr. Luprecht, we'll leave it there this afternoon. Thank you for your time, as always.
1: It's been my pleasure, Jaylin. Thank you.
0: Yeah, take care. And Dr. Christian Luprecht, uh, prof- Professor of Poli at the uh, Royal Military College of Canada, Queen's University. He's an expert on security and defence. I like what he said there. Well, I'm not sure I liked what he said. I, I think it, it uh, described the situation rather well, that we were building building the plane while we were flying it. I think that sums things up very well. Uh, But the work continues. We know we've had uh, folks on from Amon Laura uh, telling us about uh, the work that they are doing, continuing to do to try to get um, those fixers, those folks that helped uh, Canadian forces in Afghanistan out. We know that there's about 3,000, no, it's 8,000 um, Veteran-led uh, aid groups warning that about 8,000 Afghanis uh, approved to come to Canada have not been able to escape. Another 3,000 who helped the Canadian Armed Forces and the government have not been approved yet to come to Canada. I've, I've told you about uh, the Safi family on this show. It was December 17th of uh, last year. Actually, uh, I think it was a couple days afterwards when we aired the interview. Um, with uh, local man Spencer Seeker and his work to try to get that family out. Well, they're uh, they're still stuck overseas. The paperwork's just finally getting done now. It's a very, very slow, slow process. Uh, much different than we're seeing with, with, with some other people. You take a look at um, the Ukrainians who've been coming to this country. Very different in, in many cases. And I, get, and I get that there's a lot of different moving parts in, in both in both cases, but it is uh, very staggering to see um, just how slow the process has been to try to get um, people from Afghanistan to this country. 780 you're listening to 630 Chet Afternoons. My name is Jalen Nye.